turn your Bibles this morning to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. <clears throat> William Glasser once said that we learn 10% of what we what we read, 20% of I'm sorry, 10% of what we read, 50% of what we hear and read, 80% of what we experience and 95% of what we teach others. Now I'm not sure how those percentages can be verified, but I think his point is is that the level of our learning is many times picked up through watching someone do something and oftentimes it's done by just trying it out ourselves. And I think the Christian life is like that as well. We can learn a lot of truth about the Bible, but the practical outworking of the Bible is a little bit more difficult to pick it up. And so we need to see that practical outworking in action. We need to see someone else or or multiple people living out the truth of God's Word, and then we need to actually practice it ourselves in order to really understand it. When I was working in uh, an office for a sheet metal company in the mid-90s in Detroit, we had this lady there by the name of Barb Faulkner, and she she uh, could take a stack of papers, no, how, no matter really how big it was, and she could thumb them, thumb her fingers through the, the edges of the sheets of the paper, and she could tell you how many sheets were in that stack. It was something that she had learned uh, over a long period of time, and she showed me how to do it. You basically start out with just feeling what five sheets feel like. So once you get the feeling for five, then you go to ten, and you, you kind of feel what ten feels like, and then you start practicing on larger amounts. And um, so if she had written all that information down in a book and I read it, I might have been able to pick it up at some point. If she just simply showed it to me, I might have been able to pick it up, and, and that, would, that was certainly helpful. But, but really it came down to me actually being able to do it myself, following what I had seen her do, what I understood about what she was trying to teach, and then actually doing it. And, and that's the nature of the Christian life, I think, as well. You can learn how to do a spiritual thing or how to study the Bible or you can see an example of how a person does it well, but at some point you need to sit down and do it yourself. And that's why James says in chapter 1 and verse 22 that we can't just be hearers of the Word, but we have to be doers also. And I think in order for us to be doers, we need to have someone that we can emulate, someone that we can look at and watch them do it. I think if, if that were just written down, that process of learning how to find out the number of sheets in a stack of paper, I probably wouldn't have been able to pick it up without her showing me the example of it. <clears throat> Paul understood this point, that we learn often with our eyes and our hands just as much as, much as we learn with our ears. And so we need to see godliness portrayed for us in the life of another person and then mimic it, and then imitate it. So let me read our passage for this morning, Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. This is the Word of God. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. 
For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. Paul teaches us this morning that we must follow examples of godly people who have their eyes fixed on heaven. We must follow examples of godly people who have their eyes fixed on heaven. Paul has been talking about his singular focus in all of life. It is to know Christ. And if we are going to know Christ, it's more than just head knowledge. We need to see it in action and then we need to do it ourselves. In verse 17, we have the main command of this passage and it is to follow worthy leaders. Follow worthy leaders. Notice what he says there at the beginning of verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example. Now he's probably not talking about joining together and following other or join together with other Christians who are following my example. That is, there are other churches out there who are following my example, Paul's saying. And and you need to follow along and do the same thing that they're doing. That's probably not what he has in mind. Instead he's saying you unite together in following me. You as a church body in the city of Philippi, unite together and follow me. He's talking about joining with other Christians from, from within their own church. And Paul recognized something very important. And that was that he was not perfect. Look, look back up to verse 12 that we looked at last week. Verse 12. Not that I have already obtained it. And I think there he's talking about the, the um, full knowledge of God that he was referring to in, in verses 7 through 11. Not that I have already obtained it, verse 12, or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Jesus Christ, or by Christ Jesus. Paul recognized that he had not arrived. He had not arrived. He, he however, held himself up as a model to be followed. He was not perfect. He was an imperfect person. But he was on the process toward knowing Christ and being like Christ. And he could say to the believers, get in line behind me and watch what I do. Follow my every move and do it. Now, to be clear, this is not a position of superiority that you know I'm the only one worthy of being followed. And I know that because of the end of verse 17. Verse 17, Brethren, join and follow my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. So Paul's talking more than just about himself, right? He's talking about, probably has in mind maybe Timothy and Epaphroditus, maybe their own pastor, uh, whoever that may be. Paul's holding up other men as model examples of the kinds of Christians that they need to follow. And he was confident that that the believers would know what a worthy leader would look like. Did you notice that he didn't really explain a whole lot about what kind of leaders they ought to follow? Now, he will, I think, when we get down to verses 20 and 21. But he basically says, you know what a worthy leader looks like. Start following him. I'm one of them. And then these other men are also worthy, so follow them. And isn't it, isn't it important that we have worthy leaders that we can follow? Worthy leaders that we can look at and watch and see how they live their lives. What, how they respond to things. 
isn't that critical for our own spiritual growth? You know, we could hold up a person like John MacArthur, let's say, as a model of a model example of the kind of Christian we want to follow. But, but you know, we don't see John MacArthur every day of the week. We don't see John MacArthur every week. We don't know how he handles problems. We don't know how he shows mercy to people. We can't see him in action, really. We only see him at certain times, perhaps, and, and often through electronic means. We need someone, and I think this is what Paul has in mind, someone in our church to look up to. And part of the Christian life is not very much... Part of understanding this uh, this following, this necessary uh, following of worthy leaders is that much of the Christian life comes through learning by example. Much of the Christian life comes through learning by example. Now, that's not to diminish teaching in any way, but a lot of what we learn as Christians is is something that we've seen in other people. We've seen them respond rightly to situations. Much of what we learn and teach is dependent on whether the person who is teaching has proper character. So, as much as... You know, you could have a, a, a worthy teacher. He could potentially be an unworthy leader. I know of a church out of state of one of my family members that uh, they had one of the best preachers as far as exposi- exposition and explanation of the text of Scripture in their church. But there were some there were some serious flaws in his character, and as a result, the church had a hard time following this man. Uh, he's no longer at the church that I'm referring to, but but the point is is that the teaching is more than just verbal communication, isn't it? It's it's backing it up with a life that matches what is being taught, and that's what Paul is saying that he is. He's saying all the things that I've taught you, watch me do them, follow me. Now we need to understand another point about Paul calling people to follow him. He was not doing this to get people to follow him to the exclusion of Christ or in a, a manner of competition. You know, like if you will just follow me, some other people might follow Apollos. That's not what he was trying to do. He was trying to get people to follow him as he followed Christ. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. He says, Be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. In other words, I've got Christ in my sights, right in front of me. I'm following, watching His every move, following behind Him, serving as He served. And you get behind me and follow me. This is why He could say in Galatians 1, 8 and 9, that if anyone comes to you with another gospel other than the one that I passed or that we passed down to you, the one that was passed down from me and the apostles, let that person be accursed. Even if it's me or an angel from heaven, let him be accursed. Paul could say that because his ultimate goal was not to get people to follow him, right? It was to get people to follow Christ. Why is it so important that we're able to discern who a worthy leader is? If it's a necessity, I believe, as Christians for us to have worthy leaders, why is it so important that we're able to identify them? And the reason for that is found in verses 18 and 19, and that is because unworthy leaders are everywhere. Paul says, beware of unworthy leaders, verses 18 and 19. Beware of unworthy leaders. Notice the prevalence of unworthy leaders. He says in verse 18, for many walk, of whom 
I often told you, and I'll tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. They are all around. Now, it seems to me that these unworthy leaders are probably not in the church of Philippi. Otherwise, we would expect Paul to say something about them and to compel the church to stop condoning them, kind of like what Jesus did in some, to some of the churches in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. Chapters 2 and 3, when he, he says, listen, don't condone this wicked action going on. Stop allowing these people in your church. You, know, you, you hold to the truth, the doctrine, but, but you're allowing these people into your church, so stop doing that. So these are probably not people in the church of Philippi, because if you read through this entire letter, you're not going to find, find really any negative comments toward the church or any really challenges with regard to um, unwise practices. So these are likely some men who portray themselves as being very spiritual, but they're likely not members of this church, but somehow they have influence on this church in Philippi. And so Paul's saying, watch out for them. Watch out for these men of whom I tell you that I have wept over them because they're enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, just because there are no apparent unworthy leaders in the church of Philippi doesn't mean that they shouldn't watch out for them. Paul, remember, in tears, in in Acts chapter 20, tells the Ephesian elders, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. So he's saying not only will savage wolves come in from the outside, but some of them will rise up even from in your midst. And you need to be on guard against them. They will speak perverse things and they will draw people away. Listen to what Paul says. They will draw disciples away. Even disciples, even genuine believers can be deceived by these wolves that have come in to the flock. Unworthy leaders are very prevalent. Paul says, many walk this way, of whom I tell you, and now even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Notice the devastation that they bring in the second part of verse 18. He says, of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping. Now the fact that Paul was weeping over them suggests to us that these were professing believers. That they at some time showed evidence of being genuine believers. They looked like they were believers. They professed faith in Jesus Christ. Otherwise, why would Paul be crying over them? Why would Paul be weeping over their souls? And why would he call them, look at the end of the verse, enemies of the cross of Christ? Would Paul ever call an unbeliever an enemy of the cross of Christ? Likely not probably someone who has named the name of Christ, tried to portray that they are following Christ and holding up the cross of Christ in the Gospel and actually are turning people away. So what we learn from this is that there will be many leaders who will be crafty in their approach to ministry. It's very easy to be deceived by them if our focus is in the wrong place. And as a church, we have a responsibility to expose unworthy leaders so that all can see. So how can we identify them? Paul says, follow worthy leaders, verse 17. Then in verses 18 and 19, but beware of unworthy leaders. Make sure you're able to identify who the worthy leaders are because there are unworthy leaders that are very prevalent within the churches. So how can we identify unworthy leaders? 
we could say first that they don't have a desire to do what every Christian ought to be doing. They don't have the ultimate goal that every Christian should have. Look at verse 10. We'll see what it is. Paul says that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. The first way we can identify unworthy leaders is the fact that they don't have a desire to know Christ. Their ultimate goal in life is not to know Christ. Secondly, we can identify them by what they do desire, by what kind of people they are. The end of verse 18 says that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Now let's see if we can figure out a little bit more closely who these people are. Some scholars suggest that since they're called the enemies of the cross of Christ, they very well could be the Judaizers. The Judaizers were the faith plus works people. They would say they believed that you needed to follow Christ, that you needed to trust in Jesus alone for the Messiah, but you also have to, I, I said trust in Him alone, really, they trust in Jesus plus you have to do all these things in order to be pleasing to God. So some scholars believe that Paul is referring to Judaizers when he's talking about these, these unworthy leaders, these enemies of the cross of Christ. Others suggest that he is referring to libertines. The libertines are the faith minus works people. They believe that you needed to trust in Christ as the Messiah, but works didn't really matter. How you lived didn't matter at all. You could, you could commit the worst kinds of sins continually and unapologetically and still be whisked on into glory. They were libertines. Now, still others suggest that Paul had both minds, both uh, groups in mind. That he was thinking of both, when I'm talking about watch out for these people who are enemies of the cross of Christ, he's talking about the Judaizers, the faith plus works people, and the libertines, the faith minus works. But... Paul refers to them, notice verse 19, how he describes them, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, and who set their minds on earthly things. Paul refers to them as self-indulged, debased materialists. People who are concerned about the things of this life, who are self-indulged, not concerned about the things of God. And so it doesn't seem to me that he would be referring to the Judaizers at all, because the Judaizers were concerned about the things of God. They just thought that you needed that in order to be accepted by God. So I would suggest that Paul has in mind the libertines, those who say that you can go on sinning as long as you want, do it continually because, hey, grace is going to abound. And uh, I think that's who Paul has in mind when he's talking about the enemies of the cross of Christ. So what should we be looking out for? when we think about these kinds of people that say, yes, you can come to Christ, and how you live your life after that doesn't matter. Now, please understand that, that how we live our life is not dependent upon how we're going to be accepted by God. But the point, is, the point of Scripture is that those who have been made right before God, have a right standing before God, will follow in works. That's what James chapter 2 is all about. It's about the, the idea that faith without works is dead. It's not a real faith at all. Because genuine faith actually does something. It actually transforms a person. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become what? They're all become new. 
So here's the kind of things that you should expect from a worthy leader, one who's actually seeking the knowledge of Christ. His life should be a changed life. It tells us what we ought to be looking for when we see a professing Christian who has no sign of newness. Because all things have become new. What does that tell us about a professing Christian whose life is characterized by the old things, by the former way of life? Now, I mentioned earlier that these kinds of unworthy leaders need to be exposed so that that we as a church are not following them. But maybe you think, you know, the best thing to do for those kinds of people is, you know, listen, they're they're professing Christians. They may be pretenders. They may be playing the game. They may show no signs of life, but maybe it would be better just to leave them alone and eventually they'll get a chance to follow God. Maybe they'll get a chance then to, to genuinely turn to God. And if that's what we think, then we better look at verse 19 because Paul makes it very clear who these people are. Look at verse 19. Whose end is destruction. What is Paul saying there? They, their destiny, their final end is hell. They are headed for an eternal destruction. Their end is hell. Our end is salvation. Right? We, we look forward to that time. We're looking forward to that prize when the upward call of God in Christ Jesus comes to us. When He calls us up as the president of the games and He says, well done, you finished. You finished the race. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Our end is salvation. Their end is eternal destruction. Notice how these men are further, these leaders, I should say, are further described the next line of verse 19. Whose God is their appetite. Not only are they enemies of the cross of Christ, not only are they headed for hell, but they also live for self-gratification. They have no concern for other people. They have no concern for God's desires. They care only about themselves. Listen to how Paul describes them in Romans 16, verse 18. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. They are self-indulgent people, and all they're looking for is to gain a following. They live for self-gratification. They are enemies of the cross of Christ. They're headed for hell. They live for self-gratification. And number four, they take pleasure in shameful things. Look at the end of verse 19. They take pleasure in shameful things. And whose glory is in their shame. Things that we would expect and that we know from the Scripture ought to be shameful to them. Those are the things that they take glory in. Those are the things they boast in. You want to know whether a person is a changed person? What is it that they glory in? When they glory in these things, they bought into the lie that the Christian life is no holds barred. You can do whatever you want. It's all covered by the blood. It doesn't matter how you live your life, you will be whisked on into glory. They take pleasure in the things that ought to be shameful. And then finally, they are materialists. They are enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for hell. They live for self-gratification. They take pleasure in shameful things. And, and then the last line of verse 19, they are materialists. 
who set their minds on earthly things. Their whole goal in life and all of their attention is fixed on physical and material interests. They're not concerned about portraying or developing the fruit of the Spirit, are they? They're concerned about material things. And as a church, we have a responsibility to identify and follow worthy leaders that Paul talks about in verse 17. And we need to identify and beware of unworthy leaders that he talks about in verses 18 and 19 because they are prevalent, many of whom I've told you and now tell you even weeping, he says. They will lead us astray. So we need to be on guard for them. So if we're supposed to be on guard against unworthy leaders, we first have to identify them. And the converse is also true. If we're supposed to be able to follow worthy leaders, verse 17, we need to be able to identify them, right? And that's what Paul talks about in verses 20 and 21. Here's how you can identify a worthy leader. It's very simple. Two things. Number one, they have an eternal perspective. Number one, they have an eternal perspective. It says, for our citizenship, verse 20, is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. Remember their end? What was their end? Verse 19. Their end is destruction. But in contrast, our end, our citizenship is in heaven. Because we have two different destinations, we should be in some way separated from them. Now, that doesn't mean we don't want to see them come to Christ. That doesn't mean we use our lives to help influence them, to bring, bring them to Christ. But if we have two completely different goals, we should be separated from them, particularly with regard to the local church. We are preparing for heaven. As Christians, we prepare for heaven. And so we should be following people who are also preparing for heaven, who are preparing for heaven to a greater degree than we are preparing for heaven. We see people who have their eyes fixed on the end goal of knowing Christ, of being with Him eternally. And as we do, we follow them. We mimic them. So, worthy leaders are those who have an eternal perspective, number one. And then number two, they are waiting on the Lord. They are waiting on the Lord. They have an eternal perspective and they are waiting on the Lord. For our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. Worthy leaders wait on the Lord. So verse 20 is talking about when it says that, that, that our citizenships, we eagerly wait for the Savior, and so we ought to be following people that are waiting for the Savior. It, it, worthy leaders are those who are looking forward to the Lord's return. Titus 2, 12 and 13, in, that, that the Scriptures instruct us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great Savior, our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. We ought to be looking for that great hope of the, the Lord Jesus Christ coming back for us and we ought to be following people who are doing it to a greater degree. For the Christian in the church age, that time will be at the rapture. Notice verse 21. Who will, so as we await for this time when the Lord Jesus Christ will come, He will, verse 21, transform the body of our humble state. It's talking about our current bodies. They're, it's humiliating. 
in a sense, that our bodies are like this, even though we are part of the family of God, that we are still susceptible to sin. There's some humiliation there. But He's going to transform it at that time into conformity with the body of His glory, the body of Christ's glory. Christ's body was gloriously changed at the resurrection. It was made to be an eternal body like ours will be. And we will follow in that. As we follow Christ into suffering, we also follow Christ into glory. Suffering first and then glory. Our bodies will be transformed to be like His. Free from disease. Free from corruption. Free from sin. And this will happen through the power that Christ has over all things. Look at the end of verse 21. By the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. This will happen according to the power that Christ has over all things. Listen to Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For by Him, Christ, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Not only was Christ an active part of our creation, but He also holds all things together. All things in creation are held together by Him. And that same power that He uses to hold all things together, to keep things as they are, is the same power that He will use to resurrect our bodies, to transform our bodies from its current humble state to a body of great glory to be like His. So two points in closing. Two points. Number one, follow worthy leaders. This is the main point of the passage and ought to be the main point of our meditation with regard to this passage. Follow worthy leaders. Are you able to identify worthy leaders that you can model your life after? Do you know of leaders who have their eyes fixed on eternal things and who are waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. You need to be able to identify those kind of people and you need to follow them. Do you know someone of whom you can say, I can follow that person because they are following Christ. Identify these kinds of people in this church particularly. You need to see them as they live their lives, as they respond to trials. You need to see them as they respond to prosperity. How is it that they respond to these situations? What is it they do? What is their gaze fixed on? What are their conversations about? Find those kinds of people. Watch them. Watch how they respond. Imitate them. And learn from them. Model your life after them. You know of worthy leaders like that in this church? Find them and follow them. Number two, become a worthy leader. Become a worthy leader that others can follow. Become a worthy leader that others can follow. We've tried to teach our children from a young age that people are always watching them. And it's true of everyone, not just because they're the children of a pastor, but but people are always watching you. They're always watching you. They're expecting you to to do something, to respond a certain way, and you when you respond rightly, they may be amazed, they may be questioning why would you respond so nicely when you've been treated with such great evil. But people are watching you. 
and and particularly it's those who are younger than you that tend to look up to you but but as we become adults it becomes those who are more mature spiritually than us are the people that we look up to become a worthy leader that others can follow could you say to another christian who is less mature than you follow my example as i follow christ or would you be too ashamed for christians to scrutinize you, to watch you very closely and say, that doesn't seem to be the, the life of a Christian. Why, why would I follow that person? Is your life worthy of, of a model, example? Would a follower of yours see that your all-consuming passion in life was to know Christ? Would they be able to recognize that within a short period of time? Would they see that you desired nothing more than to please God in all things? Or would, you, or would they see that glorifying God for you is just one small piece of your life? It's not the most important. It's a small part of it. And it's kind of pushed over to the side. Would, would, would they see that you, are, that you are happy to glorify God only as long as your circumstances are going okay? But then when the circumstances are no longer in your favor, they see that you turn away from God. Would, would that be what they see? How much would a person grow if they made it their life's goal as a Christian to emulate you as you follow Christ? Would they advance in their Christian life if you were their sole model in life? Christians, we need examples of godly leaders in our church for younger people and younger Christians, and I would say for every Christian to look up to. We need models of what it looks like to serve God with great joy and with great passion. We need people who are self-disciplined, who control their tongue, who live righteously, who love their spouse, who love their children. We need men and women who love this church and who express that love through selfless acts of service. We need men and women who enjoy the gifts that God has given to them, but they don't make them into idols. We need people who have their gaze fixed on eternal things and are awaiting the return of Jesus Christ. And they're awaiting the glorification of our body. We need worthy leaders. And you need to work on becoming a worthy leader. I need to become, work on becoming a more worthy leader to watch out for unworthy leaders. Beware, because many will come in and try to, to lead people astray. We need to be able to identify both worthy and unworthy leaders. Follow the worthy ones, and beware of the unworthy ones. Let's pray. Father, we at many times feel inadequate for this task because we are imperfect people and we're calling on other imperfect people to follow us. Lord, may we grow in our maturity to such an extent that we are less imperfect than we were before and, and, and that we are growing in our love and our knowledge of You. And as a result, we are able to hold ourselves up in a humble way being a worthy leader for other people to follow. Lord, we, whether we would like to admit it or not, 
we are being watched by other people, even in this church. And people make evaluations of the Christian life, make judgment calls on what you see as most important based on how they see other Christians in this church live. And we want to be adequate servants of you. So please give us the strength of your Holy Spirit. Guide us so that we will be fit for this task. And we pray that, that you would just continue to raise up many leaders within this church who, whom we can follow, whom we can emulate our lives after. And uh, Lord, we will give you all the praise.